0: Hey, you're listening to Nach Stories, a deep dive into the fantastic anecdotes of ancient Jewish history to highlight how these incredible events, this bedrock of Judaism, is as relevant today as ever. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Nach Stories. We begin... At the beginning of Sefer Nevi'im, at the completion of Sefer Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu passes away and passes on the reins to Yeshua. Moshe Rabbeinu was not allowed in to Israel, so Yeshua was charged with the task of leading Am Yisrael into the Promised Land. Yeshua brought Chai Israel through the Yardin, a splitting of the sea, akin to the miracles that Moshe Rabbeinu performed by the Amsuf. Now, before attacking their first city of Yerichai, the first of 31 kings that Yeshua was charged to take down Yeshua sent in spies Kalev and Pinchas to scout out the terrain find out where their weaknesses are their strengths military tactics Kalev had been part of the first team to go into Ertz Yisrael with the original Miraglim a tale which ended sourly over here Instead of sending 12 shvatim, 12 spies, one from each shevet, to scout out the land, they sent only two. And over here, Chazal tell us that because of the trust they had in each other's representative, that aachdos was a schus that this spying should be a greater success. And then the last, of course, of course, Kalev and Yeshua had been the two survivors of the original spying of the land. And Pinchas, previous neshama of Elio Hanavi, was also a tremendous tzaddik. Now the two of them found refuge in Rachav's house. She took a tremendous risk in harboring these spies. They were coming in to attack and destroy the city. The mitzvah of Hashem was to demolish everything, take no loot from the city. Everyone and everything must die. So, Rachov was essentially being a traitor to her city, but she had a tremendous desire to be megayer, to convert Megayaris. Now, Rachov was known as Rachov the Zoina, and there is an opinion in Chazal that she was a Zoina and that she gave mezoynas to all her guests. She was a machna But Pashup Shad is that she was a Zoina, a woman of ill repute, the lowest of the low. And there was not a nobleman, a prince, who could resist her. She possessed a rare beauty. Once you saw her, you couldn't forget her. Yet, from that incredibly low spiritual state, she had this tremendous desire to convert. She saw the MS in the truth in Judaism, in Hashem, and she backed up Kalev and Pentechah. She took those risks, and therefore, in return, she was promised safety from the Jewish onslaught, the Jewish invasion. In fact, she went on to be Megayarish, to become Jewish, and she married Yeshua. The Zohar adds that she, besides for in this world becoming the Rebbiton of the Gadoladar, Mrs. Gadoladar, she also had a special place in Gan Eden with Yeshua. No matter what state a person finds themselves in, one can never, never give up from the lowest of the low can come, can become the greatest of the great. One of my favorite verilach from, uh, Haftarah is that when the townspeople the police came because they found out that there were spies hiding in Rachav's house she lived in the wall of the city Yuiqa was a a walled city that was its greatest protection once the wall fell there was nothing left to protect the uh, inhabitants and she lived in this wall right at the edge of the city when the police came hearing that there were spies she brought them up to the roof and the Pasuk says that she hid him She hid Kalev. But Pinchas did not need to be hidden. She only needed to hide them in singular. Why? Because Pinchas is the same neshama as Elio HaNavi, who is known for his power of being invisible. And Pinchas did not need hiding. He just disappeared. In any event, she hid them successfully, and they ran away, escaped back, reported all of their intelligence back to Yeshua. And soon after... Yeshua led Kali around the city. They marched around the cities for seven days. The blue shoifer and the walls came a-tumbling down. They killed everyone except for the one home that had a red string outside where hid the, uh put out that red string as instructed. And she was saved and her family. But the rest of the city was entirely destroyed. Or so they thought. Just a quick note about this fascinating shidduch between Yeshua and Rachav. The Gemara says that Yeshua and Rachav were never zoecha to have children. And it wasn't Rachav's fault. It wasn't an issue with her and her past. Rather, it was a punishment for Yeshua because the Gemara tells us that he had Paskin a halacha in front of him. And he therefore was high of Misa, Instead of misa mamesh, his punishment of death was dealt out as not having children. Because someone who doesn't have children, someone who's blind, or someone with taras, are choshev kemes. That's why Rachel told Yaakov, um, please give me children, otherwise, mesa an Otherwise, I would have the din of being a dead person. Desire uh, actually um, adds the. We have, we have a famous list of four people who never did an Avera, and the Zer adds Yeshua to that list. Um, so whatever this infringement was of pascaling in front of his Rebbe, uh, the Zer doesn't count it as an actual Avera. Now that the war in Jericho was a victory, they moved on to battle number two. Over here, Yeshua sent a small army of 3,000 men to destroy the city of Ai, Ai and Yud. And over here... Something inexplicable happened. You see, most wars, there are casualties on both sides of... the In each side. And uh, there's going to be some casualties. But Kaleisho was not expecting a single casualty. Because this was a mechames mitzvah Hashem told him to go in. They weren't fighting a war with military tactics and strategies. Yes, they had to put up that front and show that they were doing a battle. But this was a war entirely won by Hashem. We did Arashtalas, so we went through the motions. And yet, when they were fighting I, Osik says that approximately 36 men were killed. Mm-hmm. And says, what do you mean approximately? Just c- count up the death toll. The truth is only one man was killed, but he was equal to 36. What's 36? Well, Sanhedrin is made up of 71 members, and most of Sanhedrin is 36. This individual who was killed in battle was Yoir ben Menashe. He was such a tremendous tzaddik. He was equivalent to Ruiv of Sanhedrin. And Yeshua was crestfallen. How could this be? And he went to ask Hashem. And Hashem explained that the reason why Yorub and Menashe had died in battle was because of an an Avera that Klai had done. He said the Jews had sinned by taking some loot from the battle in Yerichat, And Hashem specifically had told them not to. So Yeshua said, well, who was it? Who took from the spoils of the war in Yerika? And Hashem told him, well, set up a gyral. You'll do three sets of lot, of, of lotteries. Number one, find out which shevet from. And in the second one, you'll find out which family in that shevet is from. And then in the third raffle, you'll find out exactly which individual had taken. And there are two lessons that you can learn from here. Number one, Hashem told Yeshua that Kalei Yisrael had sinned. And implicitly, explicitly, this pasuk is telling us that even when Klai Yisrael sins, they are very much still Klai Yisrael. Yisrael. Who Jews are Jews, no matter what, no matter what state we've fallen in. And in fact, in much of the Torah, we deal with Klai Yisrael as sinners through our tough times. It's how we get up that defines us. And secondly, the Gemara tells us that why didn't you know, Yeshua says Hashem, please tell me who took from the city of Yerichai, so that we can you know, get on with this conquering of the land. And Hashem says, I'm not going to tell you. You know why not? It's Lashon Hara. It's very much true. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly who it is. And Hashem keeps the entire territory says, I'm not telling you Lashon Hara. In fact, we know that there are three Isurim, three sins that are Yehorig yavert. One should choose to die rather than commit these three sins. Gili Arayas, Shvi Chastam, and Avodah the Gemara, says that equivalent to all three of those is Lashon Hara. That's how severe Lashon Hara is. So the Rebbein them said, I'm not telling you. I'm not partaking in this Lashon Hara. Set up a lottery and use the lots to determine who I had taken. So they did. Yeshua set up the lottery. And the outcome from the Shavit family and individual led to Achan. And Yeshua went over to Achan and he asked him, Please ad- admit that you had done this. Uh, and the truth is that it was a lottery, and um, and and Aachen could have made a counter argument. He's like, look, it's just a lottery. If if there were two people in the lottery, you and the Kohen Gadol, one of you would have been found to be guilty, right? But Achen did admit he was a Tzaddik, and Yeshua told him that, look, you messed up, and you will be be punished with death, but. That misa will be mechaber for your Avera and with the tshuva that you're doing by admitting and accepting upon yourself the consequences of your actions, you'll go straight to Gan Eden. And then, in fact, Achan did admit and that, that he, had, he had desired the treasure that they were uh, plundering that they were, uh, as they were destroying Yerichay and he was punished, he was stoned to death. And that concluded that episode. Moving on, Yeshua led Klai Israel into the battle against Ai. But over here, he used a military strategy that, in fact, uh, in modern-day Israeli warfare, they used this in 67. Uh, now, again, no matter how much we discuss the intelligence and the military prowess of the Jewish nation, it had nothing to do with us winning or losing. It was entirely Be'ad Hashem, but we do have a And Yeshua, therefore... Um, the is Hashem could win any war. He could just make the enemy terrified, inject them with a fear, and they'll just run away. Um, but we have to do what we have to do. So, Yeshua put together 30,000 soldiers, and he divided them up into two sections behind the city of Ai, hidden in the darkness. He then brought the rest of Klai a massive army, for a frontal attack into the city. And as they started battling them, Ai was very confident, because they had just won their last battle. They killed somebody or maybe 36 people, and uh, they were excited, and therefore the king rambunctiously ordered a full defensive attack, and they chased Kalei on Yeshua faked a retreat, and they started backing out of the city, and the entire city of Ai, with their king, chased after Yeshua, left their city gates. And once... The city was empty. Yeshua raised up his spear as a signal high in the air. And those 30,000 soldiers waiting in the darkness appeared and flooded the city without I even noticing. It was all empty. And they burnt it to the ground. And as the bills of smoke started rising from the city behind them, it caught the eye of the fighting eyes of the Ai people. And watching their city burn, their morale was broken. Once the morale was broken, the war was over, and Yeshua and the rest of the Jews obliterated their army. Everyone was killed except for the king, who was taken captive as a prize for Yeshua to kill. We have no rachmanus, no mercy on the evil. Misplaced mercy is the greatest form of cruelty. Uh, we see this by Shmuel, who was a very timid and merciful kind personality and yet he decapitated Agag the king of Amalek with brute force it's not mercy if it's mercy on evil now one by one Yeshua was destroying the kings that had remained after being warned to leave Right, Yeshua before going into Israel told them all we're coming in we're all free to leave but we're taking over and if you leave now you'll be safe um There were 31 kings who remained behind, stuck to their lands. And one of these cities was Givon. And the thing about the Givonim is that they noticed that the Jews were taking over, obliterating, and just rolling through the land with the help of Hashem. But now it was too late for them to surrender because they had already turned down Yeshua's original offer to leave. So they devised a scheme. They brought together a bunch of old men, Givonim, and they covered them in dust. Made them look ragged and worn. And they showed up in Yeshua's camp and they said that they had come from a very, very far place. Where are you from? We're from very, very far away. Oh, very far. Very, very far. They didn't say that it was from, you know, next door or Givon, And they asked, you know, we hear what you're doing in Eretz Israel and we would like to make a peace treaty with you. Yeshua saw no reason why not to make peace with a foreign land. Part of their Request in this peace treaty was that there would never be a war between them. The Givonim requested that the Sanhedrin promise to keep to this peace treaty, and the Sanhedrin agreed. Now, once they had the Sanhedrin's promise, the Givonim revealed that they had had in fact just you know meandered over from the next city of Givon. Yeshua was furious, and he said that. Bad in truth, this promise that they had made, the swear that the Sanhedrin made, and this whole contract was entirely in error. But if they would back out on it, then the people would say that Jews swear falsely. It wouldn't look good. So he decided rather to employ them, nesinim, to take them on as water carriers and slaves for the Jews. This was their curse in exchange for you know, not being destroyed, they were very much OK um, with this outcome. However, as time went on, and the Gevoinnim are now working for the Jewish people, this is one of the 31 kingdoms, and all and the other countries, particularly the king of Jerusalem, the had their blood boiling. They labeled the Gavoim as traitors, and they declared war on them. Givon turned to their newly acquiesced allies. And he asked Yeshua, please back us up. Our city, Givon, is about to be attacked by the king of Yerushalayim and four other kings, a massive army, came out to destroy Givon. In this battle, Yeshua agreed to defend Givon. And they saw a tremendous, tremendous, blatant miracles. how Hashem entirely handled this battle. It could be Hashem took a greater part in this one because it wasn't, on the original agenda in this war as the king of Yushalayim and four other kings charged towards the Jews it started hailing but not hailing like little bits of ice you know just open an umbrella and not like massive hill like you see in the news like softballs boulders started falling from the heavens entirely obliterated squashed the enemy as the war was going on the sun began to set and Yeshua realized that if they wanted to finish this battle today they would need more daylight so Yeshua called out to the sun to remain still and to the moon to wait for the sun so that they would have some more time to put an end to this battle today the Zara points out that he didn't tell the sun to stop to he, rather he, he told the sun to be still to be quiet you see, the thing that keeps the sun moving are the tefillahs that it sings to Hashem. So Yeshua told the sun, stop singing. And therefore, if you stop singing, that would pause your trajectory. And he told the same for the moon. Now, how was Yeshua able to tell the moon, the sun and the moon, what to do? And the truth is, Yeshua did not use his own schusim. He used the schus of his forefather, Yosef HaTzadik. You see, Yosef HaTzadik had a dream. And in his dream, if you recall, the sun and the moon and the stars were bowing to him. Yosef at Tzadik has a rulership, a dominion over the sun and the moon. And that gave him the power to, and the power to his descendant, Yeshua, to give the order for them to stop. As that battle was won, Yeshua continued to battle the other of the 31 kings and their individual lands, effectively. And since Achan. From then on, not a single casualty befell the Jewish people. It was an absolutely one-way battle campaign. One of the later battles was a war against Chavron, And Hebron is famous for being the burial plot of Eretz Yisrael, home of the Me'or Machpelah, the double cave where other and Chava are buried. Avr, Mitzchot, Yaakov, and their wives. And Aesop's head, for that matter. It's near a city called Kiryas Arba. Now in Kiryas Arba, um, which is translated as the the city of four. Why is it called four? Well, either because it's near the Marse where these four couples are buried or there were four giants who lived there. These were the same four giants that were reported by the Miraglim years earlier. Because of that report, Chal Israel had to die over the next 40 years wandering in the desert and now Yeshua invaded Hebron and Kirit Arba showing Chal Israel that when you do it with Hashem there's absolutely nothing to be scared of even giants. Following these events, the land was divided between the 12 Shvatim. There were, uh, there were seven years of battle, and it took seven more years to divide the land equally. The truth is, it wasn't divided between the 12 Shvatim. There were two full Shvatim, Averly Yardane, Reuven God, and half of Menasha also, on the other side of the Yardane. They used a girl, lots, to decide who got what. Hebron was given specifically to Caleb Ben Yafuna. He was one of the original Moraglim, because... When they were set, when the original 12 moragim were sent by Yahushua to spy out the land, Yehoshua, a close tomb out of Moshe Bain, was was uh, added an extra, he was gifted an extra letter to his name. His name was Hoshea and, and Moshe Bain would him that extra yud to guard him. Through these, this trial of saying Loshon Hara, Dibara on Eretz Yisrael, Kalev had not gotten a an extra letter from Moshe either because he had a helical wife, Miriam, or when he got to Hebron, when they were spying out this part of the land, he actually risked his life and went through the dangerous land of the giants, guaranteeing a quite high possibility of death. And he ran to Godavan by the others and help him, Davin that he should survive this Nisayan of Scouting out the land with the, with the miraglim. This is one of the sources, sources of davening by kivrit tzadikim. In fact, Rav Shum Bayecha was asked um, why is it not doirish al Hamasim to daven by kvarim, and he explained that tzadikim af kruyim chayim. Tzadikim are considered alive, and when they're death, even in their death, even when, when they're dead. Um, so it's not being doirish al hamesim; it's doirish al chayim. Um, the pasuk says yumas hames when when uh, a Russia. There's something wrong, so the dead person should die. Because even when they're alive, Rishayim are called Mason, but Tzadikim are called alive even when they're dead. And, and Rashbi added that that we would not even be able to live half a day without the of Tzadikim and Shemayim. Finally, before Yeshua passed away, the last thing he said was that Kai is wrong we can remain the leaders of the world. We can remain successful and continue our Hatzlacha in this beautiful land that Hashem has given us. So obviously, so clearly, but... It, it's very much dependent on one thing. We have to stay re- faithful. We have to remain loyal to the Tyra. The only thing that can remove us from our Israel is ourselves. Is if we go off, if we stray. But Yeshua added that even if we do go off and we do stray, we do lose our way, we lose focus on the Torah and Mitzvahs and the point of life. And we do get kicked out. We always have Chuva to bring us back in. Thanks for learning with me. Have a wonderful day.